as always, try to bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. And if you like what we do, you know we could sure use your help. You can visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a nonprofit doing good work in the world, you can consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, Des Moines locally owned and specialty grocery food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, today, folks, we are going to focus on gun violence. And with me in the studio, Dr. Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. How you doing? Ed, how's it going? It's going all right. It's been, um, it's been uh, an interesting couple of weeks, to say the least. And joining us on the phone is uh, State Representative uh, Akeo Abdul-Samad. Hello, Akeo. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Ed. So... I, I, it's hard to even know where to start with this conversation. Every, every day there's a new shooting. We had a shooting here in Ames last week. We had a shooting in Iowa, in Des Moines earlier this, this year. And, of course, the big ones that make the news, Buffalo, Oklahoma, Texas, all over the place. And uh, of, of note to me, and you, you as, as a state legislator. Maybe, Philly, Chattanooga. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just I know. an endless, an endless. An endless litany, yes. So but maybe, the, obviously. maybe we can start, Akeo, with you helping us understand what's going on at the state house. Because the very same day that the Uvalde, Texas shooting occurred, the Republican-controlled legislature passed a law allowing deer to be hunted with AR-15s. And that has a bunch of us scratching our heads, both in terms of the um, impact that that bill would have. Deer hunters now firing rifles that can travel, with a bullet can travel two and a half miles. And doing it on a day when such a horrible tragedy struck our country. Akeo, kind of help us process that, if you would. Well, I I don't know if I can help process, you know, that itself, because then I would have to get in the mindset of those who actually, you know, offered the legislation. But I can say that that that's the climate right now in, in this country. And there's two things that are going on at this point. One is that you have those that, you know, are traumatized and understand that they are on a perpetual roller coaster you know, uh, emotional roller coaster on steroids. And then you have the mindset of those who feel that they want to do everything to secure and to prove that their Second Amendment, Amendment right is not being challenged. And so in that second mindset, you start reaching out to try to do the things, you know, and pass legislation and try to show that a certain constituency that they have a right to bear arms, you know, on all these different levels. So is that, is that what this bill was about? It was just a way to, to show some muscle for the NRA to say, yeah, um, even though these shootings are happening, we're here uh, and we're going to keep making the law more and more uh, liberal, if I may say, <laughs> I may use the right word, so that people can have greater access to guns and do more things with them, including 
gunning down entire herds of deer. Well, yeah, I, I think it's showing not just even showing muscle. I, you know, I, you have individuals, and I honestly believe it, that believe, you know, that if the more people you arm, the more people, you know, then you can stop some of these, uh, you know, mass shootings, the more people you arm. Ohio, Ohio just passed the law to be able to arm teachers, you know, and you know, so that's just happened. Yeah. You know, so you have individuals that literally believe that if I arm teachers, if I arm hunters, if I arm, you know, Joe Sixpack out there who believes that, you know, I need an AK forty five, I need eight hundred rounds of ammunition because I go because why? Because we're losing America. You know, one of the things that we have to understand, you know, Ed, is that we these mindsets that we have out here is developed because we don't get to the root cause of the of the issue itself. You know, we don't get to the root cause of how most Americans have been hoodwinked and bamboozled to believe that America only belongs to, you know, one ethnic uh, set of people, you know, or believe that, you know, families, you know, are threatened because of the so-called founding fathers, you know, misunderstanding their situation at the time of developing this country. And I, I don't want to go too off too far to dive deep in, but, you know, we have to go back to the root. You know, as long as we're not dealing the root causes, you know, we will continue to have mass shootings. We will continue to have these different mindsets that are jockeying for who is right you know, instead of us being able to work together, we also will be in that position where you have individuals that rise up, you know, out of the Phoenix, you know, that rise up that's able to keep us divided from mm -hmm. one another, yeah. to keep us fighting one another. So, so as long as we're not dealing with the root cause, we, we, we will always have these symptoms from that root that will keep us in discussions you know, and keep our babies, you know, dying. Our babies will still be dying, dying and innocent, innocent people will. Let, let me bring Charles into the conversation here and, and focus on the, the question of root cause. Well, I think you have to look at the evolution of root cause. Um, and actually, I was going to ask a, Kale a question based on this survey, the National Firearms Survey that I okay. just read this morning uh, from the NRA side. Um, okay, you know, one thing that never gets talked about is that uh, based on this survey, African-American households are overrepresented as gun owners. And yet, you know, much of the mayhem created by guns is not, you know, from African-American, from the African-American population. So um, what, what do you sense is the feeling about, quote, gun control? Because gun control really for the first hundred plus years of its history, going back to the you know middle 1800s, was generally directed at African Americans. You know, the first gun control laws out of California, no, were Ronald Reagan in response to the Panthers walking into the state capitol, right. legally brandishing you know, rifles. So, you know, what what is your view on that? Well, you know, one one of the things that. We have to understand that when Huey P. Newton and Bobby Sills actually developed that, you know, it was on the premise that we need to create a level playing field and that we needed it 
for protection, you know, real protection, not a uh, created threat, you know, to be able to create a boogeyman to scare people. And that's a different, and that's a different mindset. You know, when we look at African-American gun clubs now that are springing up, they're springing up to literally teach our children how to protect themselves, you know, to have family members. I have several individuals that, are, you know, that are friends of mine now, you know, that, you know, are actually never thought about arming themselves, but now they are, but it's not arming themselves you know, and still then not dealing with the other issues within their family, mm. you know, and, you know, issues such as, you know, mental health issues such as, you know, depression, you know, which is a mental health issue. But I'm actually looking at an issue such as violence themselves. You know, there's a whole different mindset in the culture that's being brought up as you have also in you know, other families, not just African-American, but, you know, in white families themselves. You know, understand we have a certain population that is, you know, perpetuating this whole violent piece and, and commending those who are creating these mass murders. You know, we look at individuals that get on social media after, or have been on the before, they're following after the act goes up, you know, tenfold. So you have that population is the population we're not dealing with. You know, and that's what I'm talking about. Again, the real cause. And when we talk about what what actually going on, because when you look at that that survey, you know, you look at you're looking at, you know, gun conscious people. You're looking at people that are community conscious. You're looking at people that are saying, I'm not buying, you know, and they're not buying these individuals in the African-American community aren't buying AK-47s, you know. They're not buying assault weapons, you know, talking about I, and they're not putting 800 rounds of ammunition in their home, you know. Well, that's true. I mean, the, 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 the serial killers and the mass shooters in our country are rarely anything but white males. So we understand. <laughs> but But you make a good point, which is that, what happened after the 60s and 70s was a ginning up of the th of the threat, the perception of threat to both sell weapons as well as for the NRA's political purposes to start the, you know, with the Federalist, uh, you know, the, the Federalist and the other Heritage Foundation and everybody else to create a situation where this reinterpretation of the Second Amendment as, you know, including basically anything short of a machine gun. Um, is totally legal, which, by the way, there was no history in the United States prior to the Heller decision in 2008 for that interpretation of the Second Amendment. I think Ed and I are going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. One, one, one of the things we, we have to remember, again, I, I really be, believe in going to real causes. You know, we have to look at America, and I'm talking about the powers to be. You know, I'm not talking about the individuals, the working class individuals, the powers to be have always created a boogeyman to be able to promote their issue, you know, to be able to sell America what they want to sell America, whether it's from racism, with oppression, you know, guns, violence, you know, we, we've seen that, you know, and we always know that the powers of, to be have always, you know, 
always created a boogeyman that fits into the climate of today. You know, and we go back as far as the Native Americans being a boogeyman, Jewish Jews being a boogeyman, you know, black people being the boogeyman, you know, Muslims being the boogeyman. Uh, then, I mean, you know, there's always a boogeyman, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so if you create a boogeyman and you're dealing with a society that you also are controlling your media and you don't have transparency, then we can do that. And if, if people don't believe that, we're listening, all they have to do is go back when Michael Dukakis ran for president and they used Willie Horton to scare every white male in America. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I remember that very well. So I guess one, one last question. So do you think the action here in the, le- the legislature was a way of sort of sneaking in acceptance of the AR-15 as a hunting weapon or that we should be able to buy it because it's a hunting weapon and therefore it should just be readily available like all hunting weapons? Yeah, I, th- I think it was put, you know, I think it was snuck in to create a loophole, yes, you know, for individuals to have. You know, and to legally have it. You know, I I think that individuals, when you have individuals that feel their rights are being taken away, they use every means to be able to create an avenue to secure those rights. And that's what we're looking at now, is that you have this targeted population that is trying to secure their right to carry. You know, and uh, and now understand, you have some of these individuals within that targeted population that truly believe that they're protecting their way of life. They're de- de- they're protecting democracy. They're de- you know they really believe that you know there's an answer to take away their God-given right. You know, which they don't understand because we won't have the discussion of white privilege. You know. And how that, how they themselves have been hoodwinked and bamboozled. So, you know, Kale, we've only got a couple minutes left before we're going to take sorry. a break. No, it's okay. But I want to ask you one more question about that legislation. Having been at the state house myself, I know that uh, there's sometimes when 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 there's a piece of legislation or an idea that's really not palatable or defensible, that will pop up at the very last. And the very tail end of the session, everybody's tired, they want to go home, they're not paying close attention, and boom, suddenly something pops up. Uh, the Iowa Communications Network comes to mind, uh, uh, legalized gambling, a lot of these uh, really, really bad ideas. No, that one, legalized gambling was a great idea. Well, yeah, the, 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 the way it was presented was a really bad idea. The way it was presented was horrible, actually. But the um, but so this seems like one of those ideas that it, was, it popped up at the last minute, and, and it was by design. I mean, oh, did I? Was there a debate on this before? Because I, I didn't. I heard nothing about it till the very last day of session. No, there wasn't a debate on this before, you know. But you know, it, if I can take that and segue, you know, Ed, one of the things again, when we talk about the real causes, that what we have to quit doing is that when we have these mass shootings, when we're dealing with gun violence, we have to quit using the gun as our go-to. We have to get to the root of saying, you know, what are we doing with the mental health? What are we doing with supporting and edu- education? You know, and I want to say, I'm working with several individuals across the aisle now to, to see if next year we can offer some legislation to start teaching gun safety within the schools. You know, 
So we're, we're working across it. And I'm not talking about bringing guns and who want gun safety. Right. The other thing is, you know, and I want to say this quickly, sure. you know, and hope it's not taken out of context by, by the list of orders. But you know what? When we wanted to defend and support in what was going on in Ukraine, you know, we found billions of dollars. We have a war going on in this country, and we still can't find enough money to support our teachers, to support the police that we need to be able to give them and them to hire mental health workers, social workers. We don't have enough counselors in the schools. We don't. When we start funding our own wars within our own country, that's when we become the leader of the world again. Yeah. Yep. But until then, we're going to have these mass shootings. We're going to have that because we're not catching individuals yeah. at a point that we can help them. Mikhail, um, those are really uh, excellent observations, and I really uh, thank you for taking the time to join us. Hey, I appreciate you inviting me. You know, you know, if, you know I still owe you one because it wasn't for you, I wouldn't is that a note of gratitude or a blame? Well, he, he saw you as a model as a, how to run differently. <laughs> I love you dearly, and I love the work, and I love your consistency and your advocacy, and this is what we have to have. Thanks, Akeo. Folks, we're going to take a short break. This is Ed Fallon. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Charles Goldman. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Family Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche is more important than ever. So please support what we do. You can go to the Fallon Forum website. You know, you can sign up for the weekly blogs, uh, spread the word. You can donate. You can also become a monthly uh, sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, so Dr. Charles Goldman with me in the studio. We're focused today on gun violence. Uh, Charles, um, there are some who feel that the NRA is, has been pushing the liberalization of the definition of, of the interpretation of the Second Amendment in order to benefit its own 
pecuniary interests, its own financial benefit. Well, it, it's also because it has become a cultural thing in the same way that position on abortion has become a cultural thing that identifies certain people in our society. Um, the NRA, though, is in many ways not really representative of the views of its, its members anymore. But I think the important thing about the NRA is to understand, um, you know, for instance, whenever when they talked about Uvalde, you know, we got the usual present thoughts after it happened, followed by the reason we can't really do gun control, although I think the use of term gun safety is more appropriate. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, number one, it's all about mental illness, which is nonsense. Um, I mean, that's an element. It is a minor element. The number of people who are truly mentally ill who commit crimes with, with any form of guns is probably at most 5 or 10% of the homicides associated with guns, if that high. I would argue it's bad enough we have 18-year-olds who drive cars, okay? <laughs> but there is no way, given what we know about the brain physiology of the adolescent in this country, or any country, but in particularly this country, that, that a male under the age of 21, probably under the age of 25, should not have access to any weapon of mass destruction. And that includes AR-15-type weapons with large magazines. Um, it's ludicrous. Yeah, of course, the, uh, the shooter in the Uvalde uh, was 18. Uh, massacre was 18, 18 years old. That's correct. So yeah. let's get rid of the mental illness argument right away. It, that's, that is, there's mental illness in every country in the world. No one comes close to the amount of gun mayhem we do. So the second part of the argument almost invariably is the Second Amendment doesn't allow for regulation of guns. Okay, so what, what is the actual meaning of the Second Amendment? So what does the Second Amendment say? And one thing about the Second Amendment is there's an unfortunate punctuation in the Second Amendment, which has been the argument back and forth. So what it says is a well-regulated militia. It doesn't start with the right of the people to own a gun, right. a weapon of any type. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, another unfortunate choice, because that was changed actually from, from country to state, and I'll talk in a minute about why. A comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So the way it was written, it seems to actually separate the militia element from the bear arms element. Now, in spite of that, this is always the way that it, this is how it is. This is where the commas always have been. It wasn't until well into, well, it wasn't until almost 2008 that this amendment ever was interpreted as meaning that you had an unlimited right to bear arms in this country. And that's, of course, the Heller decision in 2008, uh, you know, authored by Justice Scalia. And um, up until that point, there was, in fact, no jurisprudence which accepted their right to bear arms that was unlimited and personal. And to the point that a very conservative Supreme Court Justice, Warren Burger in 1971, who was petrified that he was going to have to face Richard Nixon after Roe v. Wade was, was decided under his, his uh, you know, uh, running of the court, um, said that the NRA's view that this actually somehow gives you an unlimited right to bear arms is a complete and total fiction. What happens then is you have the NRA hooking up with the usual suspects, Paul, the Paul Weyricks, the, the Heritage Foundation, the Federalist, you know, the Federal Society, and they spend 50 years culminating in the Heller decision in somehow saying that this is an unlimited right, okay? 
And even in the Heller decision, which was, which, which was a case that was brought because you, you, there was no right to any gun ownership in um, Washington, D.C., the decision by Scalia, as he wrote it, was that government regulation that was reasonable was in fact perfectly well allowed by the Second Amendment. And that actually his decision was based on the right to self-defense associated with your home. Okay. Not associated with the mall that was 50 miles away. Okay. So that is the legal history of the Second Amendment. Now, why was the Second Amendment written? Is there anything in the history of the Second Amendment being, you know, formulated that says anything that was about personal right to bear arms? In fact, that answer is also no. It is about militias. And that was actually the, the focus of it. If you read Jefferson and Madison's letters on this, it's absolutely clear what they're talking about. Jefferson was morbidly against the idea of allowing a standing army in the wake of the American Revolution. Right. They were petrified that, like in Europe, sure. that the armies would be used to overthrow the, the, the rule of the people, or sort of the rule of people. We don't really was Jefferson more concerned about a federal army or state armies? Oh, no, no, no. He was totally concerned about some sort of standing army anywhere, anywhere, okay. anywhere. Oh, anywhere. But in particular, right. since they were writing this amendment, he insisted to Madison that there had to be something in the, in the Bill of Rights to make clear that there was to be no standing army. So the militias was seen as a way of teaching people gun safety, right? How to use a weapon effectively, how to use it in concert with others in a disciplined militia. And that was seen as a bulwark against the creation of a national army. The second element of this is why they change it from the, you know, that it benefits the country to the states. Well, that goes back to just as the KO is saying, we need to understand the history of racism in this country, which was the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were written for the most part by Southern white slave owners, in particular those in Virginia. And at that time, both in Virginia and Georgia, there was compulsory service in militias related to tracking down runaway slaves and also putting down slave rebellions, of which there were hundreds by that time. And it got even worse because then in Haiti, when the French basically freed the slaves there, they turned around and slaughtered their masters. So they were petrified in the South. And they were also petrified that if there was a standing army, the North, which would be, was clearly going to become more populous, would use it to, because the abolition was already brewing in, in the North. Mm -hmm. So the militias that they're talking about aren't the National Guard. The militias they're talking about are slave militias. And that is the history of the Second so, Amendment. Yeah, that, and that fits right in with, with what Achaia was saying, too, about the uh, root causes of, of the whole, uh, of, of both the violence but also our response to it. Well, and if you want to read the history of the Second Amendment, look up John Paul Stevens' dissent to Scalia and Heller. And that was and in you'll 2008. Read in 2008, and yeah. you can read this. Because it, this is, the, in fact, it, it, it's a completely ridiculous interpretation. The other thing I would argue is it's really interesting here. Because what did, what did Heller say? Heller said that, it's, that, first of all, that this is a truly enumerated right. The, right to, the personal right to bear arms is as enumerated in the Constitution as the right to privacy is, which is, it's not. <laughs> okay, it's not. All right. Now, 
Well, privacy wasn't as big a deal back then. Well, it doesn't <laughs> matter. I mean, in terms of enumerated, it was, it was not it's hard not, to find privacy. It is not an enumerated right. right. The enumerated right is for the states to raise militias and to regulate them. A word that, by the way, is used in the Second Amendment. But was there, was there any uh, redeeming value to the perspective that, uh, that built the, uh, that, the Second Amendment? I mean, again, I understand what you're saying about the militias whose design was to control, to keep, you know, black slaves in, you know, under, under, the, under, the, under the thumb of the uh, slave owners. But was there any redemptive quality to it? For example, you know, we want to make sure we withstand any other invasion from abroad right. or from overreach by our federal government. And okay, so it's okay. okay to have these state armies that are there to protect from those two threats. Um, that, that's interesting because, yes, because then you can make the argument that this is a state's right issue. But let me just, I'm going to answer that question okay. in a minute. Let me go back to the last thing about Heller versus Roe v. Wade. Heller says that the rights have, the, the states have a right to reasonably regulate gun ownership. Wait, Roe Ro v. Wade? No, 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 no. Heller says this. Okay, you said Roe v. Wade. No, there is, but there's, there's, okay, there's, there's right. an analogy mm-hmm. here which you need to understand. Because that's essentially what Roe v. Wade ends up, you know, especially you know, with the subsequent decisions, saying that you, the, the criteria is you can't unreasonably interfere with the right to get an abortion. Right, and that's kind of essentially what Heller is saying: is you can't unreasonably interfere with this right to bear arms. Okay, but the interesting thing is, look at the difference of the conservatives in the two decisions. Right, so the decision in, in, in Roe v. Wade is you can't unreasonably interfere with this right, but then they spend the next fifty years basically figuring out ways to interfere with it as much as possible. And then they're all basically said to be okay. Because even Griswold, which follows on, was about a, a bunch of you know, proscriptions in Pennsylvania. And the only one that really upheld was that you, you know, the, the viability criteria, was that that was still valid. But all the other stuff they came up with stayed. Now, on the other hand, when it comes to gun rights, because we're going to have another decision which is going to make you know, gun, control, gun safety even harder in this New York decision, the court never seems to find a way to find the state regulation unreasonable. So they're all about states' rights and enumerated states' rights when it comes to abortion, but they're not, you know, they, they stop every state interfering with the unlimited use of weapons, you know, um, in, in their decision subsequent to Heller. So it's a complete hypocrisy. It's nonsense. And it, it goes right back to what Akeo was saying. It was that it, it had nothing to do with Jefferson saying you have to nourish the tree of rebellion with blood every once in a while. He never said that in relation. He never even talked about that in relation to the Second Amendment. He only wanted to avoid the possibility of an overthrow of the federal government by a standing military, just well, he, the opposite of what you're asking. And Jefferson was also very critical of the uh, risk of corporations becoming uh, so dominant that they could threaten the the, uh, the, 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 the the functions of a state and or federal government. Well, corporations to, to, were meant to be, corporations were never meant to be in perpetuity. Yeah. They were actually time limited for the, just that very reason. You're absolutely right. Right. So, okay, so the... Uh, <laughs> But uh, it seems like the the NRA has been. I mean, it's a very it's very articulate, Charles. Very well researched, very well presented, and also way more hard for people to grab than grab onto than say 
The Second Amendment is about my right to bear arms. Period. I mean, it, it's, it's totally not. And but how do you how do you win that argument? How do you how do you counteract the the inundate the constant inundation of information from not just the NRA but all the other forces that want to benefit from the extensive sale of guns? How do you how do you counteract that with uh, with an argument that is very cerebral? That's very that, that, that takes a lot of deep thinking. And a lot of research. Well, I mean, I think that at this point, it's going to be difficult to do that. Okay. I think, though, you do need to deal in realities, which is kind of the next part of things. Um, all I'm saying is that when you understand, and, you know, there's so many college-educated people in this country, and I'm not sure what they paid this much, you know, how, why they paid this much money <laughs> for their college education. It's but, more expensive all the time. Must but, be getting better and better all the time. I mean, you know, once you start to look at history and understand how we got here, you do need to ask yourself, am I being played? And why am I being played? Because that's what this is. You are being played. Mm. You know, and when we talk next about this firearm survey, I think it'll even come up even more clearly how you're being played. Um, and remember, you know, the government, the CDC was precluded from doing research on firearms back in the 80s because they did a very inconvenient study in Baltimore that showed that actually the possession of firearms doesn't make you safer at home and does increase your risk of killing yourself. And so um, that kind of was no longer, that was verboten after that. Right, right. Hey, uh, we got to take a short break. Um, I, I, I think that that's a good topic to come back to. Um, in, in terms of um, the question of being played, I mean, I, there are lots of questions, lots of perspectives on the issue, and um, there are some that uh, would argue that, uh, that those of us who are calling for greater levels of firearm safety are the ones uh, trying to fool people. I did, I did ask, I did invite two, you know, I, I, I want to say pro Second Amendment people. You know what I mean. Hmm? Onto this program to talk to join us. I, I did not hear a response from either of them. So well, it's unfortunate. Cause I really would like to hear what their their basis for saying the Second Amendment says what they're claiming now says. We may have to have that conversation at another time. But um, at any rate, I, I want to get back to your sure. next point. Uh, but we got to take a really short break. This is Ed Fallon with Dr. Charles Goldman. After a short break, we'll be right back with more conversation on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. You know, 
you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business or nonprofit sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details about that. And speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. All right, Charles Goldman in the studio with me. Uh, and, you know, we're going to look at this NRA survey. I got to tell you, there, uh, first, Charles, I, I don't know if you ever watched The Daily Show, Trevor Noah and his, um, his band of, of merry comedians. Uh, some, I, I, I don't. I find, I find him amazingly unfunny. Oh, really? Honest. Oh, my gosh. Well, you just, I think John Oliver is much Well, John stronger. Oliver does a much d- deeper yeah. dig into stuff. Yeah. But, but they're, they're bo- they both offer some really good cutting-edge insights into issues that... Uh, that often we try to avoid. So, and, and when it comes to, uh, I mean, the, the issue of, of gun safety, uh, Jordan Klepper goes to Switzerland and does this. It's hilarious, but it's also very mm-hmm. instructive about the differences in gun laws in Switzerland versus the U.S. You know, I mean, there there are more guns per capita in Switzerland than in our country, I believe, if I if I understood that correctly. Yes, there's a heck of a lot of guns. But there, there are a lot of safety uh, regulations in place. That's correct. And the, the, the last time they had a mass shooting in Switzerland was, I think, over 20 years ago. Well, and if you look at another, you know, other analogous countries like Australia, UK, um, you know, other Northern European countries, their response to these episodes has been to drastically change their gun safety regimen. Didn't run into any near uh, the same kind of pushback from their populations, and wow. They don't seem to have these episodes anymore. Yeah. So what does the NRA survey tell us, Charles? Okay, well, first of all, it's not the NRA survey. Oh, but okay. I actually think that, and I'm directing this segment to people on both sides of this issue, and I actually think that the NRA is doing a great service in their what they see as their defense of your right and the need to be owning a weapon. And the survey they're referencing is actually done by a professor at the Georgetown School of Business, of all things. Um, and Georgetown, obviously not a notable conservative-leaning institution. Right. doesn't mean this professor's not. But I, I think this was fascinating so that people can understand, again, on both sides of this issue, what's actually happening in the United States. So first of all, this was a survey of uh, 54,000 Americans 18 and over. They found 16,708 gun owners. They asked them then some, and once they did that, they only asked questions of the gun owners, which is a real failing of this. Um, and what did they find? They, find, they found that uh, gun ownership is about 31, 32% of households in the United States. Uh, those households, to some degree, as I, as I told Akeo, are overrepresented in terms of African American households having um, guns in the house, about 25% of them, which is about double the population of African-Americans right. percentage-wise in the country. Um, and in, in the same sense, uh, whites are actually underrepresented you know, in terms of their percentage in, in the population. Um, gun ownership among females was actually quite high. It's like 45% of the gun owners are female. Um, and that's my first point. How many of these episodes... Wait, what is your point? Well, how many... Well, my first point is, how many of these episodes involve women and people of color? 
Very few. Right. Yeah, we're looking okay. at mostly... So a, my a, first point would be, if you're going to do anything sane, whom should you be directing these things to? You should be directing it to the populations at risk. Okay, and we'll get back to that. Okay, we understand. It's white males, preponderantly. But even among you know, non-whites, it's males. Second thing is that the survey claimed that a third of gun owners said they've used their firearm to defend themselves. Because remember, this is, the big, this is the big thing you hear, right? I have the right to defend my house. Getting back to what Akeo said, the question is, how real is the danger in your house? Right. Okay. Yeah, a third <laughs> is pretty high. A third of those surveyed this have is what used this, their weapons this, to defend themselves? Well, wait, this is how they use them. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me go to... So the estimate is that from that third that there's 1.67 million incidents per year in which someone uses a gun or pulls a gun of some type or, you know, to defend themselves. Handguns are the most commonly used firearm for self-defense, 66%. Okay, another important point. Handguns actually make the most sense as a defense in your house. AR-15s do not. High-velocity metal-jacketed arms, you know, if, if something that fires a, a full metal jacket, you know, uh, high-velocity uh, projectile doesn't seem like the optimal thing in your house to defend yourself with. If you can't, if you can't aim a gun, I understand why you'd want a hundred rounds, and <laughs> and just fire away. Now, clearly, a shotgun would be a better choice, except for the shotgun, of course, the spread, and also the fact that it has a huge recoil that many right. people have a hard time it handling. Ru- it could ruin your furniture. Okay, but nevertheless, handguns are the most important and most commonly used among gun owners for their defense. How are they used? Over, like, 80% of the time, the weapon is only brandished. It's not actually fired. And we already know that because the number of homicides that are associated with defending your house is about 200 a year in the United States. Okay. So 200, <laughs> there are 200 cases of a... Oh, where they reported to the police, sh- which is most of them going to be reported to yeah, the police. Yeah, that's an, an intruder being shot by a homeowner. That's presumably. correct. Okay. Right. Okay. It's not a lot. 25% of the defensive episodes occur within their house. 54% occur outside their house, but on their own property. So once again, do we really need to have concealed carry or open carry out in public to really make yourself safer? Uh, this would say uh, kind of no. Um, then they asked the same gun owners, how many times do you wish you did, in fact, carry your handgun at the time you needed it or thought you needed it for self-defense? And that was 35%. Now, interestingly, they never asked this question of the people who weren't gun owners. Yeah, they should have. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because the people who own guns already have a mindset, as getting back to what the KO said, the belief that they are in danger. Right? And that makes them also more likely to brandish a weapon when they are feeling that they're in danger. Right, right. Okay. So, I, I mean, I think this stuff is just fascinating because it goes back so, to whom should we, what should we be doing? What, is, what does the NRA say about, what does the NRA survey? The survey they, don't, they don't say this. They, they just, no, no, they just they, put what, this out there. What, yeah, what, what does it say about domestic assault, about weapons being okay. used against predominantly women? Okay. Well, let's, let's by an yeah. aggrieved spouse. Well, they, they, they don't separate out by women, but they, they, in fact, do make, there's another part of the site talking about who are the people eventually who commit crimes with guns? 
80% of them are either known to police because they have a history of, of uh, other violent offenses or they have already been identified as domestic abusers. So the point would be that if you want to start doing sane things, yeah, if you want to start doing sane things, number one should be red flag laws. What do you mean? Explain a red flag law. Red flag laws basically allow for using a judicial proceeding to take away, sometimes temporarily, sometimes indefinitely, a you know weapons from somebody who is thought to have a high potential for violence, right? Based on based on a judicial proceeding, which is going to investigate okay. the history of that person as well as the complaint that may have generated this, or the complaint may be generated by the by the police themselves. Okay. Okay, that seems like something that would be directed to what is a big part of the problem in the United States, which gets around the issue of you're taking away guns from law-abiding citizens, right? Actually, if we just took away guns from the people who are most likely to use them in a way that's going to be to the detriment of others, we would take care of a lot of the problem in the United States. The only thing we wouldn't take care of is the fact that suicides go up in people who have guns in their households. But mm. even that, which by the, the NRA's own statistics that they're promulgating, no, that's a no-go. Why? Gets right back to our last segment. Because the Second Amendment says mm. that you can have, you be, can be armed. Uh, and we, we, and, inter- and, and if, I can change, if I can interpret what that means to the NRA, our shareholders say that we will lose revenue if we don't continue to encourage as broad a, you know, a purchase of guns as, as, as possible. Actually, ironically, after Columbine, the NRA was considering supporting red flag type regulations. What happened? Uh, the, the business side of the, of the NRA okay. said that's a no So to my point. The publicist. To my point. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Now the it other was bad for business to support the. Yeah, you know, the other thing that that's going to come up here pretty soon is, and and I'm sure that you know MSNBC and all of them are going to wring their hands over this, you know, we're once again putting no background on this, um, is that the decision that's probably going to come pretty soon actually got delayed because it seemed like it'd be a bad time right after Uvalde to to make this decision, but they're probably going to overturn a hundred year old law in New York State about um, how you can get a concealed carry permit. Um, and they're, you know, who knows what they're going to come what, up with. What does the current law allow or require? It requires that you have to go through this process and then it's a somewhat, and it, it's a somewhat uncertainly and arbitrary, arbitrary process, but we don't know. But it does tend to weed out people who might, not, who might be likely yeah. to be dangerous carrying a concealed weapon okay. in public. So it's a form of a red flag law. Right. Yeah. So basically the NRA, again, I had a, like a great day going through that site. In fact, I found it I'm much more well, much more enlightening than being on Fox News, than watching Fox News. Really? Yeah, because well, it's really fascinating to see that there is good research, and they're willing to put it out there because they're so blasé about it. So there was another part of the site. They were talking about what's the issue with concealed carry? Is it really that dangerous? So what they point out is that, that in fact, looking at some large studies once again, there's no particular evidence that concealed carry either um, banned or you know, having uh, uh, a constitutional carry where there has to be some sort of permitting or where you have to go uh, you know, and apply at the sheriff's 
you know, like we used to hear. Now, of course, that's all gone by the wayside. It shows that whether whatever regimen of concealed carry you use, it makes zero difference in the rate of homicide in your area. But it does increase, although not totally to the, you know, 95% confidence level, concealed carry is associated with, um, if it's not banned, it's associated with an increased risk of suicide. Any, any gun ownership is associated with increased risk of suicide, particularly among young people, particularly among men under the age of 25. So you can interpret that two ways. You can interpret that as it doesn't really make a difference if people are out there concealed carry because nobody else get, it, no one's getting hurt. On the other hand, you can interpret it as it's completely useless because you're not defending yourself either. Because if you, know, if you were defending yourself with them, then you should see a significant decrease right. in homicide, right? If you're saving the good person with the gun, you, you'll be saving people's lives. So this is out there. I mean, and this is what, instead of the same tired cliches, somebody needs to stand up and say, I am reading from the NRA site. What does this mean? What could we do that matters? What are common sense gun safety laws? Number one is, to my mind, is red flag laws, not because it's mental illness. Well, no, I think, I, think, I think that should be part of it as well. I mean, there, some of the worst shootings have been propagated by severely mentally ill people who never should have had. had but it's to such a, a rarity. I mean, well, you're, 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 it, it's how, absolutely how? statistically rare. Uh, you're, 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 you're doing the, like the Charles Manson, you know, Charles Whitman, you know, uh, University of Texas Tower shooter thing. No. The majority of mental illness, of uh, mentally ill people in this country are victims of that violence. They are not the propagators of that violence. You could argue that any sort of mass killing is, is a mental illness, but it doesn't mean you have mental illness. Okay, we may have a different definition of mental illness, but what are the other things you recommend? Well, I mean, I clearly, you know, improving universal, universal background checks. It makes no sense that you can go to a parking lot outside of, you know, the doll show <laughs> you know, because there's always guns and doll shows. Um, that you can go and you can buy a weapon at these shows and you don't have to have any background check. Hmm. But if you go to a store, you do in some places. In some places you don't, right? Some places it doesn't even get done. No waiting period, no background check. I mean, clearly there has to be that. Because it goes back again just to the red, like the red flag laws. You need to identify whether this is a person that should not have access to a weapon. And, but I, I, the other thing I need to disavow people of is there is no proof of the good guy with the gun thesis, okay? The good guy with the gun thesis at Uvalde was that because the person inside the classroom had a rapid-fire semi-automatic weapon versus the handguns the Uvalde Police Department and the school district police were carrying meant that nobody went in. Yeah. So, so nobody went in yeah. for an hour. Yeah. Well, Charles, uh, we've got to wrap up this conversation, and it's been a good one. Um, it's, a, it's sad that we have to have these conversations so often, and maybe at some point there will be a coming together of, of, uh, of minds on this from both sides of the political aisle, and it'll, it'll require some standing up to the, if the, the profiteers, those who make money on gun sales. The, the NRA <laughs> well, yeah. particularly the gun manufacturers, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, uh, folks, we've been talking to uh, Charles Goldman here on the Fallon Forum. We've got to take a short break, and when we come back, Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm is going to join me for our farm and food segment. We'll be taking June Garden Q&A. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services 
for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business, or if you're with a nonprofit doing good work in the world, you can also become a sponsor of this program. Thanks to our sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum, and community radio stations. Owner Mark Clipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Kathy Burns is with me, and we are doing our monthly garden Q&A. And yes, it's June. So June garden Q&A. Boy, it sure looks different than March garden Q&A, doesn't it? We are gangbusters. <laughs> you know, I, I think, though, at the beginning of March, we thought we were in... The season. It suddenly we had these ninety degree days. We thought, okay, yeah. we we went to summer already, and then Fooled. boom, I know, cold, the, rainy. Then April came and it wasn't much better. But here we are. We're definitely things in are it. taking at least in the in, in the upper Midwest things are taking off, and we're getting a lot of questions. We just ate a couple of pea pods. Too. <laughs> yes, we had our first yeah. pea pods. Um, yeah, we're getting questions and we're seeing questions. And um, first, let's talk about compost. Somebody had a question about. Um, do you throw weeds in with your compost? And this person is thinking, yes, but they've never composted and want to be sure. Now, I looked at some responses on the social media forum. Some people were saying that, you know, those tiny little plants that if you even get a little parsh, partial piece of the root, they will grow from it like the dreaded creeping Purseline. Charlie. Purseline, yeah. creeping Charlie. They said, don't put those in your compost and also don't put any, any weed that has gone to seed in there. Um... I don't know, Ed. Yeah, um, I think you have a different idea. I do actually. Um, yeah, I, I, in terms of um, my role here at Birds and Beats Urban Farm, I am the, the czar of de death and decay. You I are. Am, <laughs> I, I, I take care well. of the composting, and you know, I, I understand that. But the, um, if you get your compost hot enough, and ideally between 140 and 160 degrees, uh, then you shouldn't have any trouble. And even if you do, I mean, I, I would not want to go through an entire bucket of weeds and try mm -hmm. to sort out anything that's gone to seed. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to pull out every little sprig of purslane. No. I just, we don't you know, have time for that. <laughs> We're just, too busy making well, soil. Well, again, if, if you can get it hot enough, you don't need to. Mm -hmm. And so that's my, my take is that you just, you, you got to cook it. And if you cook it, 
You can put it whatever you want in there. Well, and I, I didn't even note to you about this question, but a week ago we had one of our workshop participants reach out and say, oh my golly, he went out to the garage where there's a compost bin going and what was coming out of the compost bin but cockroaches? Well, and, and <laughs> It ain't hot enough. <laughs> it's not hot enough. And those little guys are loving your kitchen scraps. Plus, you got to mix the other things in with it. And, um, yeah, there's a, there's a recipe. There's a combination of things that the right, right stuff yeah. makes it hot. Um, plant growth. Stuff is growing so fast outside now. But somebody is saying... What is happening? My plants are growing so slowly. And, I, you know, basically, it has been a cool season. It depends on when you planted. When, when, was, when did that question come in? Uh, I just saw it this morning. This morning, someone, so boy, it seems uh, Someone mentioned that they're having really slow growth. But I'm going to mm. guess, and there hadn't been enough conversation um, to ask whether or not they had when they planted everything, now we keep records of when we plant everything, so we always have that at our fingertips or in our spreadsheet. Um, so, I, you know, it could be that it's a cool, dry season. It could be that because it's been pretty dry, and we're not used to that this time of year. We're used to pretty steady rains this time of year. Maybe they need a little more water on their plants. It didn't sound like their plants were um, really uh, suffering hmm. but just slow and i'm going to guess it's just going to yeah. take some warmer weather and some patience yeah and and maybe they maybe they did get in later than than uh, than, than they should have and so they they're the plant is still trying to work on root growth and getting itself established it's possible huh. they didn't do amendments last fall or any um blood meal or anything when they planted too maybe they're just they just need to give their soil some yeah, use maybe need some more nitrogen maybe a dose of fish emulsion would help or some blood meal Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we had not quite a, a peck of questions about peppers, but we got to pick a couple to... Is that from some of your workshop students? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, somebody said they were seeing some dark streaks at the joints of the pepper plant's stems. Now, he sent a picture, and they looked very normal. Yeah. I did, you know, research it a little bit just to make sure that the dark streaks, streaks weren't a problem. Um, I've always noticed them from time to time, but I did learn that they're they're usually from just stresses on the plants, inconsistent mm. weather, inconsistent watering, and that's what we've been seeing this year yeah. so far. That, I don't that doesn't sound like a problem to me. It was not, and that's just a, yeah. a streak inside the stem at the joint. If you are seeing other issues like spots, like fuzzy stuff, like big holes in mm. your leaves or on your stems, that's something that you do need to look into. Yeah. And the other pepper question was, can I stop picking the blossoms off my peppers now? The answer is yes, if, you're, well, if your pepper is a couple of feet high. Yeah, it depends. It, well, it wants to be strong enough to yeah. be able to yeah. move forward. Is it, yeah. is it sturdy? Is it robust? Right. Is it, yeah. Has it been in the ground at least a couple of weeks? And if you keep picking the blossoms, you will get a stronger plant. But it's so fun to see those little <laughs> baby peppers come yeah. on. Yeah. So it's, it's a choice. Um, we had, there was some discussion about onions. Now, Ed, you started something new this year when our, we, we plant onions from seed. Right. And in the seedling stage, why don't you describe what it was that you started to do that we have never done before? Well, yeah, it, it did help. Uh, I, I can't remember where I got this idea, but I'm, I'm surprised I didn't try it earlier as I've heard about it for a while. I just never bothered, but, uh, pinching off the onions when they get to be maybe 
two or three inches tall. Mm-hmm. Again, they're very small at that point. This is back, you know, in February. Pinch Seedling them off. stage. Pinch them off again when they when they grow back, and mm-hmm. and that just forces all the growth into the roots. And yeah, they they looking ours are looking really good. And I think that probably I mean they normally look okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they look, but they look even stronger this year, and so maybe that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about, the, you said somebody had a question about folding over onions? Well, that was interesting. Somebody mm. was talking about if your onions are big enough and they're starting to visibly bulb, and you want, you don't, you're not doing these for scallions, for green onions, you're doing this for nice Bulbs, big yeah. keepers. Uh, the, the concept is, and maybe so many people know this, and I've just never done it, I don't know if you have, t- take the very... Um, base of where the leaves start and you just gently fold it over you don't break it off but you fold it over so it lays down the whole stem lays down against the ground and that kind of cuts off the moisture having to you know the the plant doesn't want to suck as much moisture up to support that leaf growth and then that helps to cure that onion develop those nice dry um, you know, layers around the edge of it and helps yeah. it start to cure for better keeping. So that's something to think about. We might yeah. want to try that. Which onions do we have that didn't keep as well? The reds? Well, yeah, the, the, and the red Weathersfield is mm-hmm. not a keeper. Um, sorry, mm-hmm. no, wait, the red Weathersfield is a keeper. Is a keeper sorry. Uh, it's the, um, it's the, uh, yeah, long red Florence is not a keeper. So I don't know if it really, if you're trying okay. to keep them, then maybe that's, you know, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't have a good opinion on that. I think it'd be harder <laughs> to braid the stems into that nice braid the way we store them oh, yeah, and hang the, them if, yeah. if you had it bent over yeah. though. So just something. Uh, one more thing I want to get in quick. Somebody noticed um, a lot of curled leaves on their tomatoes. And um, it. I looked at the picture. It looked to me like it could have been herbicide drift. Yeah, so, I look, I'm looking at that photograph, too. It sure looks like a pesticide problem. Yeah, according to North Ouch. Dakota State University, um, both the droplets and the vapor can travel distances. Uh, uh, the droplets can go up to two miles. So yeah. Yeah, check with well, your neighbors. Thanks, uh, Kathy, and thanks to our thanks to uh, Charles Goldman for joining me in the studio today and also to Akeo Abdul-Samad for calling in and joining us. Uh, thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And remember, your support for this program matters a lot Go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.